Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahern. Moves are afoot to keep Australia's disastrous old-growth forest logging industry alive. Leaked documents have recently revealed what many have been saying for a long time, that logging in the East Gippsland region of Victoria isn't economically viable and is propped up by taxpayer money. But as this industry loses more and more of its economic and social credibility, it seems that the federal government is keen to prop it up. The Abbott government has pushed through its changes to the National Renewable Energy Target. These changes slash the target by 20%, and bizarrely include native forest wood chip as a source of renewable energy. All this comes as researchers at the Australian National University published a report showing that, surprise, surprise, if we're wanting to reduce our CO2 emissions, it's much better to protect native forests than it is to log or burn them. On today's show, we hear from Ed Hill from the Goongarra Environment Centre to get a rundown of what's been happening in East Gippsland. And later in the show, we hear from Lee Eubank from the Yes to Renewables campaign with Friends of the Earth. Lee gives us an analysis of the changes to the renewable energy target, and he tells us that it's up to state governments and local communities to step up where the federal government has failed. But first, Ed Hill on Gecko's work in documenting logging malpractice in East Gippsland. There's a real lack of regulation in the forests uh, in East Gippsland. Um, It's a self-regulating industry where the Department of Environment are responsible for regulating the government agency, Vic Forests, who carry out the logging operations. So you've got a government department regulating a government agency and more often than not, they simply don't do their job and uh, apply appropriate levels of scrutiny to Vic Forest's logging operations to ensure that they comply with uh, Victorian environment laws. So that's where we come in and we get out there on the ground and we're constantly monitoring the logging operations that are occurring in the area and we regularly audit the uh, logging coops to find out if there have been any breaches to the code. They can include logging of protected uh, communities like rainforest or um, logging of threatened species habitat or logging in areas where threatened species are known to occur. So we get out there and um, do a lot of citizen science where we collect data on the special values of the forests, um, whether it be putting cameras out to record images of the endangered long-footed potteroo or surveying for the large forest owls uh, and other protected species uh, or mapping the extent of rainforest communities that are meant to be protected but big forests uh, routinely flaunt the law and, um, and log them. So just recently we exposed a, a rainforest logging operation that was occurring on the Erinundra Plateau just next to the Erinundra National Park, where we we were just conducting a routine monitoring um, uh, routine monitoring activity, and uh, we found about a hec- about uh, about half a hectare of uh, of rainforest, which is a protected community, it's protected um, under Victorian law, 
uh, and it had been illegally logged. So we documented that um, by mapping out the area using a GPS and measuring um, the rainforest uh, trees that were in there and identifying the rainforest species that were in there. And we put that into a report and submitted it to the Department of Environment who, who investigated. And we lobbied the minister to get the, the loggers out. And fortunately, the loggers did actually leave and we saved uh, about seven hectares of what was about a 30-hectare coop. So it was a small, a small victory there, but we did uh, manage to save a little patch of forest. And the Department of Environment investigated um, this rainforest logging and they have came, they came in with an inconclusive ruling uh, in their report where they basically said we can't prove whether it was illegal or legal because the all the evidence has been destroyed. Um, that didn't stop the environment minister from delivering quite a scathing assessment of of the of the logging in there, and she has since ordered uh, an independent body to review the Department of Environment's investigation into one of our uh, allegations that was in that report. So we're seeing some progress there. She seems to be getting the message that big forests uh, aren't scrutinised appropriately and there needs to be more independent oversight. And she's also ordered the department to conduct uh, what she's calling more spot checks with, uh, on big forest logging operations, but we're still yet to see the, uh, the details on that sort of thing. So that's the Environment Minister, Lisa Neville. Um, she's come out, you know, quite strongly um, uh, against the, the logging that's, that's happened in this particular instance. Um, however, in a very uh, bizarre turn of affairs, the Department of Agriculture, which is also responsible for Vic Forest, and the Agriculture Minister, Jala Pulford, seems to be has a completely conflicting view to the Environment Minister on this sort of thing. And her department, the Department of Economic Development, uh, Jobs, Transport and Resources, it's quite a mouthful, they wrote to us uh, threatening to prosecute us for entering the logging area, um, which we had to do in order to alert the government to this illegal rainforest logging uh, that had taken place. So it was a classic uh, example of shooting the messenger, basically, and uh, threatening to prosecute members of the public for... Uh, acting in the public interest and bringing these really important matters to the attention of government so that they can act and hold Vic Forest uh, accountable. So we're still under investigation um, and the, the Department of Economic Development have, uh, have threatened us with prosecution. We don't expect them to follow through, but they could if they wanted to. Um, but basically it was a massive PR blunder on their behalf and... Uh, Ironically, at the same time that they were threatening to prosecute us, the United Nations shortlisted us for uh, one of the World Environment Day awards in the biodiversity category. So there's a situation where the United Nations were recognising the, the value of our work and the significant contribution that that work has played uh, to protecting Victoria's biodiversity. And at the same time, the Agriculture Minister, Jala Pulford, uh, was threatening to prosecute us for doing this exact same work that the UN had recognised. So yeah, it's been um, quite a quite a saga, <laughs> the the story of the um, of the rainforest breach. But it's not an isolated incident. Vic Forest, you know, as I said before, Vic Forest routinely um, breaks the law when it comes to the protection of threatened communities like rainforest. Back in 2012, a volunteer 
conservationist um, found an illegal logging operation in East Gippsland that the department actually um, prosecuted Vic Forests for where about eight hectares of rainforest had been logged. They reached an out-of-court settlement and basically just got a slap on the wrist to try a bit harder warning, uh, and that was that. But they don't seem to have got the message because obviously, uh, as this as this example proves, uh, rainforest is, is still getting logged. Um, there's a real lack of regulation, and Vic Forest are just sort of a, a rogue agency acting like a law unto themselves, and they're not scrutinised. Um, so, yeah, it, it goes on, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue to get out there. We don't fear this threat of prosecution, um, and we'll continue to enter these logging areas to make sure that... Um, that uh, Vic Forests are, are scrutinised and will continue to bring these matters to the attention of the, the government until, yeah, basically until Vic Forests can be proven to be, uh, can, can, can be can, until Vic Forest operations, um, you know, comply with the law and um, stop logging these high conservation value uh, areas. You're listening to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the Community Radio Network. We're speaking with Ed Hill from the Goongarra Environment Centre about the campaign against logging in East Gippsland. I asked Ed to explain exactly what grounds the Victorian government has in threatening legal action against Gecko. The public is prohibited from every area that is designated as a logging area. Um, They issue what's called timber harvesting safety zones and they do it under the, uh, the, you know, they do it under this sort of facade that it's to keep the public safe. Really, it's to keep the public out of these areas uh, and it's also to keep us out from doing the survey work that we're doing, um, which is scrutinising their operations for compliance to the law. So they they are threatening to prosecute us for entering one of these timber harvesting safety zones. Now, it's recently emerged through a leaked government document that Vic Forests is making a $5.5 million loss per annum in their logging operations in East Gippsland. Uh, these operations, the internal documents say, are being cross-subsidised by other more profitable operations such as in the Central Highlands. Can you tell us a bit about that? So we've known for many years, really, that uh, logging in East Gippsland is unprofitable, but uh, Vic Forest have been granted a free resource, which is publicly owned uh, state forest, and they still haven't been able to turn a profit. Um, their profitability has been brought into question for a number of years. However, these recent uh, these recent leaked documents are actually business plans from Vic Forest themselves, um, and they basically show that the entire logging industry in East Gippsland is not commercially viable. Um, and that cutting down native forest is um, racking up losses of about 5.5 million uh, a year. So there's really no reason at all to be logging these areas, and the state government uh, continue to subsidise them through through building all the roads, um, maintaining the road networks, allowing them access to these publicly owned state forests. Basically, they're really struggling to find markets. Uh, uh, for native forest products, um, as global markets, you know, are rejecting uh, unsustainable native forest products and moving towards plantation, Vic forests are really struggling to find markets for their products. Um, they're losing 
they're losing money at a at a rapid rate. I mean, it's basically the the industry's on welfare, uh, and without without the subsidies that the government throw into it, there just wouldn't be an industry at all. So we're advocating for some of that money that the government are just wasting on propping up uh, logging of old growth forests and logging of threatened species habitat to be redirected into regional development opportunities within the East Gippsland area. Um, you know, imagine what we could do if we had those millions of dollars that are currently wasted if they were put into our national parks uh, and, to, and promoting um, nature-based tourism in the region. We could actually have a sustainable economy in East Gippsland that doesn't rely on government welfare which not only costs the taxpayers dearly financially, but uh, also costs the environment uh, and all the things that make East Gippsland the special place that it is. Can you give us a bit of a picture of the conservation value of these forests that Gecko is trying to protect from logging? Sure. So, yeah, East, well, East Gippsland is the, the Victorian stronghold for biodiversity and threatened species. It occupies just uh, 5% of the state but it's home to nearly half of all the threatened species in Victoria. It's the Victorian stronghold for old-growth forests, and it's also the Victorian stronghold for rainforest. The largest area of cool-temperate rainforest is found on the Erinundra Plateau, just, a, just about uh, a kilometre away from where we recently exposed the illegal rainforest logging uh, is the largest stand of cool-temperate rainforest in Victoria. There's an incredible diversity uh, in East Gippsland. It's, it's in a, perfectly located to capture the warm currents coming down the east coast, but also the, the, cool, the cool currents that are coming up from the south. It's one of the few places in the world where you've got warm temperate rainforests meeting cool temperate rainforests and forming this really rare type of rainforest called overlap rainforest, which is hugely significant in terms of biodiversity uh, and as refugia for, for species that are fighting uh, climate change as our planet uh, warms up. We've got really unique species like the endangered long-footed potteroo, which was only described in the 60s. And it only occurs in this tiny area in, a, in the Far East, right where a lot of logging is taking place, unfortunately. And some of the other species that are really significant out there are greater gliders and the large forest owls like the sooty, powerful and mast owl, which are all threatened species and they all depend on old-growth trees with large hollows and without large areas of old-growth forest to support the breeding of these species, we're going to see further declines in their populations. So, yeah, it's critically important to protect East Gippsland because it really is the last stronghold of the old-growth forests that, that those uh, threatened, uh, hollow-dependent species require. Now, the federal Abbott government has just managed to push through their changes to the National Renewable Energy Target. They've reduced the target by 20%, and they've also snuck in um, some sneaky, nasty little details, like including the burning of wood from old-growth forests as biomass and therefore as green energy. Is this, given that Vic Forests is losing $5.5 million a year in East Gippsland, is this a last-ditch attempt from a dying industry, or should we be really quite worried about this change? I think we should be extremely worried. This is something that the environment movement has been fighting for years, and it just keeps coming up uh, again and again. And unfortunately, with the current government we have and their attitude to the environment,
environment. They finally managed to get this through. And what they've, what they've done is they've included the burning of native forests within the renewable energy target as a source of renewable energy. So what this means is they can now burn trees that are cut down in native forest logging operations to produce electricity. That electricity gets fed into... Uh, into the market and competes with true sources of renewable energy like solar and wind. So it means if you want to use green energy in, in your home uh, and you turn the light on, you might think that you, you're using true sources of renewable like solar, but in fact the burning of native forests under this legislation can be included in that. So it's actually going to compete with the true sources of renewable energy um, and actually drive emissions up. It's, it's, it's an incredibly archaic idea that really belongs in the Middle Ages, um, but the industry have been pushing it, pushing hard on it because it's going to throw them a lifeline. Basically, the wood chipping industry, uh, which about up to 90% of the trees from native forest logging operations have historically been wood chipped, and the wood chip market has collapsed. There's basically very little demand for native forest wood chips these days in the global market. So this is another high value, a high volume, low value product that the industry can uh, use to access markets so they can keep uh, the status quo of clear felling uh, in native forests, uh, clear cutting large areas of native forests in an extremely unsustainable and wasteful way so they can keep that going. Um, so it's a huge threat, and the leaked documents that have revealed that Vic Forest is losing $5.5 million a year actually cite that basically the only way that logging in East Gippsland will be profitable in the future is if, there, if native forest biomass, so burning native forest for electricity, if there are proposals to, to burn that that get up. So basically... The only way it's going to be viable is if they build forest furnaces to burn our native forests to produce dirty power. Ed Hill from the Goongarra Environment Centre. Lee Eubank from the Yes to Renewables campaign with Friends of the Earth has been watching closely the federal government's attack on the national renewable energy target. I asked Lee what we're looking at with this cut to the target. Just looking at the immediate outcome... Um, the Abbott government has successfully cut the national renewable energy target by 20%. So that's going to mean 20% less jobs, 20% less investment for Australia. And obviously it's going to make it more difficult to um, reduce carbon emissions and tackle global warming. So with that 20% cut, um, based on modelling from the Clean Energy Council, Um, Friends of the Earth have extrapolated that that means around about 3,600 less jobs by 2020. Um, And just in terms of the background, I think it was, you know, only a month or two after Prime Minister Abbott was elected to office in 2013 that he came out making some extraordinary statements, um, you know, canning renewable energy. And it was at that moment that we knew We knew that despite the pre-election commitments that they would maintain the renewable energy target um, at 41 gigawatt hours by 2020, we knew that they would, you know, seek to take the axe to the ret. Which has led to a lot of instability in the sector. We've heard uh, both businesses and uh, NGOs, such as Friends of the Earth, really warning about this instability to investment in renewable energy. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, 18 months plus of um, uncertainty around the national renewable energy target. It's resulted in um, over 2,500 job losses, according to the ABS. Um, and it's also resulted in a 90% drop in finance um, and investment in the sector. So, you know, Abbott's, um, the uncertainty that the Tony Abbott government unleashed really did take the baseball bat to the sector. And that's why Friends of the Earth and the Yes to Renewables campaign that I'm coordinating has been calling for state government leadership. And that's why we've been making the case for a Victorian renewable energy target. And the new state Labor government in Victoria has indicated that they are interested in reinstating the state's renewable energy target, but they seem to be hedging their their rhetoric by saying that they need federal government support to be able to do that. Is that the case? Well, it is good to see the new Premier, Daniel Andrews, committing to a Victorian renewable energy target and accepting the problem that, you know, with reduced ambition at the national level, there is a role for state government leadership. Um, current Energy Minister Lily D'Ambrosio also accepts that problem um, and the need for state government leadership. What we do know um, from other states and territories, um, the ACT is the best example. They've set um, their own territory renewable energy target. They're aiming for 90% renewable energy by 2020. Um, and the combination of that territory renewable energy target um, and the certainty, which has now been restored at the national level, um, it's kind of the winning formula, if you will. And it's that winning formula that will see the Ararat wind farm built. So, you know, that's a 450 million dollar investment, hundreds of construction jobs, um, ongoing jobs and ongoing income for that community. And yeah, once again, it's the combination of state and national renewable energy targets working alongside each other. And how about the other states? Uh, South Australia also has a renewable energy target and other states such as Queensland have indicated ambition to, to cut their emissions. How How's that playing out in terms of creating a national uh, environment for the renewable energy sector? Yeah, look, interestingly, South Australia, their renewable energy target is 50% renewables by 2025. Um, the Queensland government, they've indicated an ambition for um, 50% renewables by 2030. So we're starting to see the leadership from the states are looking beyond that time horizon um, of the federal government. So the federal RET is looking at 2020. We're seeing people looking beyond that. Um, and, and this is, once again, this is part of the leadership role that the likes of Premier Daniel Andrews and Energy Minister Lily D'Ambrosio can play, is, you know, what is going to come after that 2020 um, deadline? Are we going to rest on our laurels or are we going to ramp up the ambition to... to continue that jobs growth and investment in what is, you know, an exciting new sector that's going to be powering our economy into the future. Do you see this as sort of a last-ditch attempt by industries that are opposed to renewables? And do you think it's going to have much of an impact given that the tide is really turning in favour of, of renewable energy? Yeah, you know, it is a puzzling, it is a very puzzling situation that we're in. 
Um, on one hand, you know, the Prime Minister comes out with some anti-wind farm comments on the Alan Jones um, radio show, and there is this tsunami of community support for the technology. So I think the politicians who have, um, have their fingerprints on this change, um, you know, they may come to regret it. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to um, be a long-standing change. It'll be a temporary um, c- circumstance for Australia. And we only need to look at Victoria, where um, in 2010, the Ted Bailey government enacted the world's strictest um, limitations on wind energy. Um, they lasted one term in office, and wind energy was actually one of the key issues. Now, of course, these various state targets, as well as the reduced federal target, don't necessarily actually meet what is needed in terms of a cut to Australia's greenhouse gas emissions. Do you see these targets as a starting point for further campaigning? Or do you worry that people might become complacent? Well, the Yes to Renewables approach is that we we need 100% renewable energy as soon as possible. We do know that 100% renewable energy is possible. Um, a report by Beyond Zero Emissions that was released in 2010, the um, Zero Carbon Australia plan, it showed it's technologically feasible and it's affordable. Um, only a week ago, there was a report um, put out by the Conservation Council of South Australia. Um, they commissioned Professor Mark Diesendorf, you know, what what's possible um, in, in the state there. And once again, we know um, 100% renewables is possible. You know, if governments aren't, um, if governments aren't, you know, setting targets um, in in alignment with the ambition of the community, then there will be con- there will be campaigning. Um, there will be campaigning for more and more ambition. What do you think is the place for community campaigning to secure uh, greater support for renewable energy and to tackle climate change more generally? Politicians will only do what the community um, forces them to do. Uh, If you look um, to northern Victoria, um, the community of Yak and Danda, they've declared their own renewable energy target. They're now aiming for 100% renewables by 2022. Um, we've got another community in Newstead, Victoria. They're aiming for 100% renewables by 2017. And I think we're going to see um, community after community, you know, declaring their own ambition. And, you know, if the, the federal government and the state government fail us, then it will be the community that will that will really take the leadership role. And I think over time that will flow into the political system. Lee Eubank? from Friends of the Earth. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Australia's weekly environmental justice program for community radio. I'm Tisha Nahern. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, on the lands of the Kulin Nations. You can contact us on 03-9419-8377 or earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. 
I hope you can tune in next week for more Earth Matters. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.